Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Wells podcast and Merry Christmas Eve or whenever you're listening to this. We're so glad that you're here listening. Um, A couple announcements before we get into the sermon today. The first thing is that we are not having any in-person services on December 26th. There will be an online service and you can access that through our Facebook, YouTube, or the Wells app. Second off, in the new year, we will be kicking off a new series in Galatians, and that will be talking about just finding out what the gospel is really about at its core. So sometimes how we get it confused or muddled with a lot of different things that aren't as important, we're going to be focusing on the most important thing. And then finally, the Christmas Eve offering is going on now until December 31st. And how you can do that is you can go into either the app or the website, click the drop down menu and select Christmas Eve. And that's important because 100% of our Christmas Eve offering is going to those families who were affected by the tornado here in Missouri. So with all that being said, let's get into it today. Hello and welcome uh, to The Well, to our first ever Christmas Eve services. This is our second one of the day. We had a great turnout for our two o'clock service, and so we're very, very excited to have another amazing turnout for our second service here at our 4 p.m. And this is our first ever time gathering as a church to celebrate Christmas Eve together, which is such a cool and a meaningful moment. You only get that opportunity one time. And so I started to think in light of that, like what should we talk about? And I started to think about traditions and I started to think about the things that happen on Christmas Eve, the things that we do during Christmas, the things that matter to us. I mean, you probably have your own set of traditions and things that you do. I think about like in my house and in my family, the things that like mark the Christmas season for me. Uh, I walk around my house and I quote the movie Elf, like to the point where like it annoys my family. I'll turn around the corner and I'll see my infant child. I'll be like, hi, buddy, I hope you find your dad. And everyone will be like, we don't know what that's about, right? So, but I quote that all the time. I love Elf as an adult. I love going to like 11 o'clock services and being in Christmas Eve worship until it turned midnight into the new day. You start worshiping on Christmas Eve and then you hold the candle, you sing Silent Night, and now all of a sudden it's Christmas Day. Those are really meaningful experiences for me. And I imagine for you, you have your own set of traditions, the things that make Christmas meaningful for you, the things that when you think about, this is what it means to celebrate, this is why I celebrate, they pop into your mind. But for us, as we come together to celebrate our first Christmas Eve together, I thought, why would we not talk about what makes Christmas important? Like, why do we celebrate? Why do we carve out time every year to do this? Why is this such an important time within our Christian calendar? I know that we know that there's Jesus, there's the baby in the manger, right? That's an important thing. But why is it that this Christmas story, this Christmas season is one that is so radically important for us? And so to kind of give us like a guiding principle and a kind of thought for that, I want to give you like what is our our guiding essential thought, which is this, that the Christmas story was not a one-time event. And you might like scratch your head and be like, well, actually, Danny was a one-time event. There was a baby and he was born in a manger. And that sounds pretty one-time event to me. But I would challenge us to think about the idea of the Christmas story more than just a singular event. But it's this story, this arc, this thread that God has been weaving from the very beginning of time that will extend to the end of time, this thread of hope and redemption, of light, The Christmas story, God coming to earth in the form of baby, wasn't all of a sudden some plan B. 
It wasn't God pivoting and trying to fix things that were broken, but this was always God's plan A for hope and for redemption and light bursting forth through the darkness. And so what I wanted to do is look at a specific story, a Christmas story within the Gospels, and dive in and I think unpack this idea of the Christmas story. It's not just this one singular event. And there's four Gospels. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Luke and Mark, they're like kind of the famous Christmas stories. There's the baby wrapped snugly in the manger, right? You probably, if you've heard the Christmas story, that's the one that you've heard before. There's John's gospel. His is really poetic. His has like these famous words, like in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word has never not been in existence. And when you use the word word, uh, which is a lot of use of the word word, uh, when we use that, he's talking about Jesus. So he's saying like from the very beginning, Jesus existed, and to the end, Jesus existed. And so it points to this idea that this Christmas story, again, was not this singular event. But the gospel I want to look at, and the reading of the Christmas story I want to look at, comes out of the gospel of Matthew, and I think is perhaps the most exciting of all the Christmas stories. And so I'm going to read it to you, and you can follow with us on the screen, but this is Matthew's telling of the Christmas story. It says this. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amanimdab. Amanimdab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Solomon. Solomon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. And Boaz, whose father was Obed whose mother was Ruth, whose father was or Obed, whose father was Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. And if you're anything like me, that was like the most exciting piece of scripture you've ever heard in your life, right? Now, like, so like when I read that, there's nothing exciting about that at all. It's a bunch of names, and Amanimdad is like the easiest. They get harder. And it goes on for 11 more verses, 16 generations of names that are listed. One after another, they continue and they continue and they continue. But I asked myself, like, we have the story of Jesus in the manger in Mark and Luke. We have John's really poetic gospel. So why is it that Matthew decided to use this as his story for Jesus coming to earth, this Christmas story? And again, I think he's trying to point to this idea that it wasn't a one-time event and that the Christmas story began far before there was a baby in a manger, Far before Jesus was born, far before we read that silent starry night, that the Christmas story had began. And if you remember that list of names that I read, there's probably a few things that stand out to you other than like they're hard to pronounce. The first thing that probably stands out to you is what? Like they're all guys' names. Uh, like, and that would not be unorthodox for that time and that place. It's a patriarchal society where men are the heads of the household, they work, they're the head of the spiritual household, and it's a society mostly ran by men. But what is unorthodox about this story and this lineage that Matthew puts out is that he includes in 16 generations of names, and again, we only read six verses, there's 17 total verses, he puts in five women's names. We read three of them, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, he mentions uh, Bathsheba, who's the woman that King David is in adultery with. He mentions her kind of in passing. And then we see Mary, the mother of Jesus. And so we have to ask ourselves, we're like using a critical mind and thinking critically, why would it be that the author of this gospel, Matthew, would take time in a society where people would look to the men in the family to look at the people that they knew that were the heads of the household spiritually and religiously, why would he take time to put these names in here? 
Because I've said this before and I'll say it many, many times until I'm probably blue in the face, is that scripture, every word matters. It wasn't easy, it wasn't cheap to write stories down in the way they were recording them. So every story, every name, every word has importance and it has significance. And so I want to look at why that is and in one person's story in particular and see then how that tells us something profound and I think important for us to hear this Christmas about the Christmas story. And so who I want to look at is this woman named Rahab within this lineage. And Rahab, if you haven't heard her story, you can read about it in the book of Joshua. It's in the second chapter. And God's people, uh, they have just left slavery and captivity in Egypt. So they've wandered around the wilderness for 40 years. They're trying to find this promised land that God has told them that they would go to. So they're wandering and wandering and wandering. Their leader, Moses, dies. Joshua takes over and they're on the brink of the promised land. And they're about to go in. And so they decide they're going to send these spies into this Canaanite land. And these spies, they look around and they wander and they're trying to see, like, are there big enemies? Like, where are the weaknesses? God promised us this land, so we're ready to go and get it. And so they're spying around. But spies are not often received well. And so they go into this land and they're not, uh, they're not met with good news uh, Christmas baskets. They're not met with a lot of excitement. And so they have to find a place to hide. And so they look around and no one, again, is really looking to harbor these spies that are looking to overthrow their land and their government, but eventually they find Rahab. And Rahab feels moved by the Holy Spirit, feels like God is doing something new and God is doing something special. And so she says, I'm going to help these guys out. She hides them on their roof. The people go looking for them. They escape. They go back. They come back later. They conquer the land and the promised land is theirs. But Rahab is important to see her point in this story because of who she was. Rahab was a Canaanite woman, which was the wrong race, the wrong ethnicity, the wrong nationality to be a part of God's people. She was the wrong religion to be a part of God's story. And she was a prostitute. And so she wasn't someone that was looked upon as a moral compass for the community. And being a woman in that she was looked upon as the lowest of the low because of all of those things I just said to you. But God decides to use her to bring forward a story that maybe no one else could have helped bring forward and folds her in. And what this tells us about the Christmas story, if it first begins far before a baby's in a manger, what it tells us is that God has a passion for including the people furthest on the margins, the furthest on the outside, the people that think they're disqualified, that think they don't matter, that think they don't count, they think that there's a laundry list of reasons they can't be a part of this new thing that God is doing. Rahab's story tells us that God is including and inviting all of us to be a part of this larger Christmas story. And again, what we see through her stories, we see that there's this invitation that's extended to her. She receives this invitation to respond to this new thing that God is doing. She responds wholeheartedly. She gets to live in this new land. She marries someone from this nation of Israel. They have a kid, and that kid marries another woman named Ruth another outsider. And I won't get a ton into her story. You can read about that in the book of Ruth. But Ruth is this uh, Moabite woman, another person that's the wrong culture, the wrong race, the wrong religion, the outsider and the enemy. But then her faithfulness, she's a widow as well, which again would also bring her lower in her community. But her faithfulness grafts her into God's story. That was all started again with Rahab's faithfulness and her boldness and her invitation. And so what the last thing that it tells us about the Christmas story is you look at this lineage, which look like boring words on paper. But what it tells us is that God is always extending individual invitations to us. 
invitations to step into this new thing God is doing, to be a part of the story that God is writing, to see how light is bursting forth in the darkness and how that impacts our lives. But that God is also asking us to extend an invite to others as we respond to that invitation in our life. I mean, you go back to the beginning of this genealogy, it starts with this guy named Abraham, who God says, I'm going to give you a nation that's going to have more people than there are stars in the skies, and your nation is going to be blessed. But he says your nation is going to be blessed so that you might bless other people. There's an invitation for Abraham that's extended to the world. It's not an end unto themselves. For Rahab, she responds to this new thing God is doing. She is blessed, and through her continued faithfulness, other people like Ruth and Mary and now Jesus come into this story and write this new thing of hope and life in the midst of what seemed like an impossible, insurmountable story where nothing good could come out of it. And so for us, as we dive into this Christmas season, like we're getting to the point where tomorrow we're going to celebrate Christmas together with our families. We get to celebrate Christmas Eve here together as a church and a community. And I'm so happy to see so many new faces and guests and friends that are worshiping with us. But my challenge for us this Christmas season would be this, that if we've known the Christmas story our whole life, maybe we've heard it, maybe we've never missed a Christmas Eve service, maybe we've heard every single Christmas Eve sermon so many times that you've actually heard Rahab already preached on Christmas Eve, that you've heard every single story that there could be. My challenge for you this year would be to think about how you can not just respond personally for God's invitation to you, to receive that internally and let it transform you, but share and extend that with others that may be looking and waiting for an invitation just like that. And my challenge for you, if this is your first time stepping back into a church after years away or the first time ever, to actually believe with courage and boldness, similarly to the courage and boldness that Rahab had to show, to respond to this new thing that God was doing, respond with courage and boldness to believe that your story is not one that should be excluded from what God is doing that there's nothing you could do to separate yourself, to run too far away, that no matter what happens, the Christmas story tells us that light is bursting forth through the darkness. No matter what we do, no matter how far we try to run from it, no matter what happens, the light is bursting forth in the darkness. And even in our last service that we gathered together, we did the candle lighting, we talked about Silent Night, we sang, and like the wind was just blowing all of our candles out and it was knocking things over. We had a TV get knocked down earlier. Even in the midst of chaos, The Christmas story is true. Light comes forward through the darkness, and there's nothing that we can do to run away from that or separate ourselves from it. And so, friends, in that truth and that light, I invite you now to join me in a word of prayer. God, we know that there's nothing that we can do to separate ourselves from you. And God, the goodness of the Christmas story is that there are people like Rahab, like Ruth, like Mary and the myriad of other people that felt like they could not do enough to get on the inside, that God, you were already inviting them onto the inside. Finding the outsider, finding the marginalized, finding the outcasts and telling them that their story was your story. And so God, this Christmas be with us. Stir a new fire within us that we would believe with a whole heart that you are with us, that you are for us, and there's nothing that we could do to separate ourselves from you. Pray us all in the one who brings light boldly into the darkness, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.